Experience the magic, comedy, and men behind Kane and Abel Talking Tricks by experiencing Kane and Abel live. We're at the following places. London, January the 25th. We then come to the Stirling Fringe on March the 1st and 3rd, the Adelaide Fringe on March the 5th through to the 17th. April 6th, we're at the Bath Comedy Festival. May 4th, 5th, 6th, and 31st, we're at the Brighton Fringe Festival. Back at the Brighton Fringe in June the 1st and the 2nd. And June the 14th, we're at the Hastings Comedy Fringe. Visit www.caneenablemagic.com forward slash tour for more. You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, Kane and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice. Two magicians who are about to go into the retro universe. We are going to the world of Lucha Britannia. Myself, Lawrence Abel, may be one of the biggest Lucha Britannia fans around. Ed Kane, what's your familiarity with the amazing cult sensation that is Lucha Britannia? We went to watch them, didn't we? About four or five years ago, maybe? Something like that. You dragged me to a sort of dungeon somewhere in Bethnal Green under the uh, premise that we were going to watch a wrestling show. You're a big wrestling fan. I must admit, I'm not a huge wrestling fan. I used to like it back in the day, probably when I was about 10 or 11. The sort of... Would you have called that the Attitude Era? When you liked it, it was the Attitude Era. Yeah, Stone Cold, The Rock all that. WCW was still on Channel 5. We used to play the video games a lot. Well, that was the other thing I really liked was Smackdown 1 and 2. Still up there. I would say Smackdown 2 is probably in my top 10 list of all-time games, which perhaps we'll do another day. The whole 10, if you ever want to hear them. If we get a lot of response from this, of people going, Kane, what are the other nine? That's the other reason I like wrestling. There was a guy with a cool name, had the same name as me. Yeah, that was cool. Now there's just some footballer with the same name as me. It's not as fun anymore. But it was cool when there was like, oh, that's Kane. Ooh, fire. The big, the big red machine. Yeah, the big red machine. I liked him. You dragged me along, basically. Come on, come watch this wrestling show on a Friday night. There'll be cheap tequila. And there was cheap tequila. And there was wrestling. Some crazy characters, like proper wrestlers with masks on and stuff. But then in between every wrestling match, do you call them matches? Yeah. Yeah, in between every wrestling match, and I hope this still happens. Does this still happen? They have a cabaret superstar come on, but like a, a good one, not like a rubbish cabaret person. They like actually really good. So it's really good quality wrestling. It's just proper entertainment, isn't it? Really good quality wrestling, cheap booze, and top quality cabaret stars. I think Alex Lutley was there at the time, wasn't he? I believe so, yeah. So that's Kane's memory of Lucha Britannia. I'd actually seen Lucha Britannia at Glastonbury and then started going along to the shows in London. I would recommend highly that you all check it out, but listen, we can go on about how much we enjoy the Lucha Britannia experience, but who better, who better to tell us than Gary Vanderhorn oh, and I Greg. To say, you said I could say Gary Vanderhorn. Okay. You've ruined it now. I wanted to say. You say the first name and then I'll say the second one because the second one's better, isn't it? They're both fantastic names, but Vanderhorn is possibly one of the greatest surnames of all time. Coming up 
in a minute on Talking Tricks. Who better to tell us all about Lucha Britannia than Greg Burridge and Gary Vanderhorn? The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. Joining us here on Talking Tricks is Gary Vanderhorn from Lucha Britannia. I've been lucky enough to attend a Lucha Britannia show before. There's nothing quite like it. And I wonder, to kick us off, how would you describe Lucha Britannia to someone that's never attended a show before? Well, that's the million, billion dollar question, isn't it? We say Lucha Britannia is like nothing you've ever seen and trying to describe it in words doesn't do it justice. So it's a visual delight and an ocular uh, sensation. But if you imagine Jackie Chan was directing a, a, a wrestling show with a cabaret show with um, P.T. Barnum and Bruce Lee, then you'd get close with a bit of Cirque du Soleil thrown in on the extra sprinkles on the side. And anyone that's kind of familiar with wrestling will know that wrestlers are often larger than life, but here at a Lucha Britannia show, they're even larger than life, so to say. Talk me through some of the characters or, or the wrestlers on the roster that people might expect to, to see fighting it out in a Lucha Britannia ring. Well, currently our champion, our Lucha Britannia world champion, is Fug. That's F-U-G. He's an East End geezer, and uh, he used to be a very bad man. He used to go on the uh, West Ham uh, intercity riots and uh, be one of that kind of crowd. So he's claret and blue all the way through. He's about six foot eight, and he's a monster. But he's a very nice monster. He's like a, he's, he's changed his ways now, and he helps old grannies across the street uh, instead of mugging them. And um, yeah, he's a he's been our champion now for quite some time he's uh, he's quite a force to be reckoned with and um, we can hear trains going ahead above us which, which describes the setting that we're in and I, I want to talk about this setting because it really is uh, like no other place you would go and attend any show but bef- before then I want to get a bit more of a flavour of maybe who some of Fug's opponents might be who, who else is on the on the roster I mean it, this could just be names so to speak because some of the names really do speak for themselves but who else is on the Lucha Britannia roster well one of Fug's uh, worthy adversaries over the certainly the last year or two has been Pavo Real and Pavo Real is like the black swan he's a deranged kind of pseudo balletic mentalist very unorthodox wrestles bare feet and in uh, in ballet tights but and uh, has an amazing entrance and he's very very dangerous but um, uh, there was a time when he was beating Fug on a regular basis using uh, nefarious ways to to win and then eventually uh, Fug got his revenge. And with a lot of the characters at Lucha Britannia it's quite tongue-in-cheek with with their personas but in the ring and the wrestling it's anything but a joke. No of course professional wrestling is an art form and it's a a visual delight and it's hyper-realism hyper-stylized fighting for entertainment purposes that hyper stylized fighting can go wrong in a eighth or a sixteenth of a second it's you know split second timing and precision that makes the moves either work or not work and people say oh yeah but it's fake or it's choreographed well it's not fake it's theater if you go to the theater and someone falls from the balcony onto the stage are they on wires is there a big airbag underneath them to catch them are they wearing a padded suit? What's the, what's the scenario? Are they a stuntman? Is that a stunt double for the actor? 
Or if you go into movies and you see James Bond running across the top of a moving train and then he shoots uh, one of the baddies and the baddie falls off off the train into a ravine, is that really someone shooting a guy? Is he really dying? Is he really getting shot? Is that really blood coming out of him? Is he really falling into a ravine? Or do you have suspension of disbelief and just accept that that guy is dead? and you move on with the story. We're doing high-end stunt work, live, feet in front of your face, and if it goes right, it goes spectacularly, horribly wrong. And uh, most of the time, because of the level of the performers and the um, athletes involved, it doesn't go wrong, but it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of edgy and dangerous. You mentioned uh, the, the close quarters at which uh, an audience will enjoy a Lucha Britannia show. I, I've almost felt the sweat come off wrestlers onto my body watching this show. Um, talk us through this building, the Resistance Gallery. It, it, it's the journey from Bethnal Green through, through alleyways to here. There's nothing like it. Uh, talk us through the building here. It is a bit special here. We're, we're in a railway arch in the dark heart of the East End of London in uh, Jack the Ripper country. So if you're listening from abroad, especially in America, you know, it's, uh, it's highly conceivable that in Victorian times, this railway arch was one of his murdering grounds. That said, you know, down our cobbled street now, it's become very gentrified around here. So it's not what it once was. We've seen the rents and the rates rocket through the roof and it's become very different. You know, it was industrial units and now there's a artisanal uh, sourdough pizza restaurant with a glass front open right next door so people usually then come down that have never been before we've got no signage it's just a in, look, odd looking industrial unit in a railway arch and then the, you can see the apprehension and the fear on their face but as soon as they come through the door the, it's a whole different story it's like entering a new world and that's part of the, the the allure and stuff of it it's like an immersive theatrical experience so you're coming into a venue that you don't even know exists it's, uh, you know, it's bad business really but we're kind of London's best kept secret even though we've been here at Resistance Gallery for 10 years and doing the Lucha Britannia show for the I think we're in our 12 or 13 you know I can't remember but the show continues to change and evolve and is never the same and the storylines go on and different wrestlers come in because we teach uh, from the school we're, we're bringing people up all the time so people come and train with us from around the world and we turn them into professional wrestlers and then we create characters for them that become Lucha Britannia wrestlers. And in between matches, something that certainly makes Lucha Britannia stand out from any other wrestling show is there's some of the greatest cabaret acts the capital's got to offer. I wonder what was some of your thinking behind having cabaret stars in between the matches? I just wanted to provide a variety show, really. I'm really, really into classic British comedy from the 60s, 70s and 80s. I'm really influenced by people like Monty Python and The Goodies and Kenny Everett and Walker and Wise and, uh, and things, programs like Are You Being Served and classic, you know, your British, real British things and then putting an international feel on them and bringing in different stereotypes and characters from around the world. With the cabaret side of things, you know, in between some of the matches we have people like Lolo Brow and Marnie Scarlett who, you know, unique individuals that really should be on million dollar contracts in Vegas but we're still lucky enough that they're, they're here in London with us but they travel international as well. Um, yeah, just something different. Like not, you know, we, we call it neo burlesque or cabaret siniestro. So to give it a kind of uh, Mexican spin on the words, just so that it's it's not your regular 
sit down and a girl comes on and strips is not like that and uh, there's enough male eye candy as well and sometimes we have virgin extravaganza who's amazing the virgin mary kind of drag trans sing-along act we just try and things that people come to us or we we have friends in the industry it's just presenting something different we don't always get it right but we nine times out of ten we do and then talk me through a little bit about the man that holds it together, the MC of a Lucha Britannia show. Uh, that'd be Benjamin Lush. Yeah, the, the Lush one. He's amazing. He's, he's another thing. It's like uh, we're lucky to have the team that we've got because the team is absolutely amazing. It's like 30 of us that, that work on the show. The show is like a proper West End production that, that shambolically gets thrown together every month. And uh, Lush holds it all together. He's the, the linchpin. Uh, he's so, I say lynch, like lynchian pin. He is a lynchian character and he runs the Double R Club, which is an amazing cabaret uh, world set in the lynchian universe. So he's, he's just brilliant. I want to discuss the last 13 years of Lucha Britannia and some of the developments it's maybe gone on. But before then, I'd, I'd like to get a bit of a, an understanding of your background in the wrestling industry. Um, how long have you been in the industry for? And what was it like when you first, first broke in? Well, I think I've been in the wrestling industry for about 17 years, 17, 18 years. I was into wrestling when I was a kid, in my teens, in the 80s, watching the classic British World of Sports stuff. And then when the WWF sort of broke over here, watching that and loving it and beating my brother up on the sofa and throwing him up the wall. I was a, a sports professional, nine coaching awards in sports and fitness and uh, martial arts and gymnastics and everything like that. And then I've I was a performer and I was in bands for years and singing and performing. I did theatre in education as well, so I have an acting background too. And it was uh, loosely part of the Brit Pack scene in the uh, early to mid 90s. And uh, so all of that sort of accumulation of stuff. And I became a wrestler when I was about 30, a uh, professional wrestler. And it's it's a mixture of all those skills put together and presented in a really theatrical way. So when I started, the British wrestling scene was pretty down it was pretty lame there was only a few good promotions and only a handful of good wrestlers and so my expectations of the industry that i now found myself in were were you know shattered and i was like this can't be like this how can it be so bad and the the reason it was so bad because the the american product had took so much prominence that british wrestling had kind of gone underground it didn't die it just went underground and there were still some great people doing great stuff uh, like Jody Flash and uh, Johnny Storm, two great examples. And uh, uh, a lot of my friends in the industry that helped me out when I first started. They're, but they had it the hardest. You know, they're, now we're only reaping the benefits of the, the hard years, the wilderness years of British wrestling. And, uh, you know, business now is massive and wrestling isn't a bad word anymore, whereas it used to be kind of like a bad word. British wrestling at the minute looks great from, from a fan's point of view. I have so many options to go, go and watch wrestling. There's obviously ITV um, revamped the world of sport. Yeah. The WWE has a, has a weekly show. Um, but thinking back to when you first um, started wrestling, was it possible to, to, to make a full-time career as a wrestler or were you having to, to do these day jobs, acting? Um, were you still you know, playing music and things like that? Were you still having to do other things alongside it? I think it was very difficult um, up until sort of modern times, up until the last, let's say, 10 years. 
to be a full-time professional wrestler in this country now the doors are wide open and if you're good you can earn a living at it and you can go somewhere but globally wrestling is huge the internet the rise of the way the internet's worked has meant that people don't get their information just from one place now they get from multiple places so you can get to watch new japan pro wrestling very easy back in my day when i was into uh you know uh, <laughs> japanese wrestling i had to go and trade vhs tapes to get like you know last year's misawa versus kobayashi matches and stuff like that and it's like you know now you just go on youtube and it's there or, or subscribe to a channel and you've got it and of course our our boy will osprey is out there tearing it up right now in uh, new japan pro wrestling yeah so I'm, I'm keen to to hear about the london school of lucha libre um tell me all about it when when it started and and some of the stars that have been through it well me and my partner greg burridge he's the pucker one he had a uh, illustrious career which he'll tell you all about in a minute we just decided that to make a change in the industry and to to get to get it good we got to start at grassroots we got to teach people how to be good you know, it was so scattershot back in the Wild West days, and it was only the the very exceptional that just managed to like get through and and make it anywhere. So we put let's put a structure in, let's do it properly, let's do let's run a school that gives everything that you need, not just teaching you how to bump and do a headlock and a wrist lock, and let's teach people how to move, let's get the kinesiology, how to move with another person, let's teach people how to project, how to speak, how to how to gain an audience's attention all of the things that you don't think about that you know how, how to present yourself how to get a good costume how to get a good character the way that social media is so important for a brand each individual is their own brand and how they present themselves on social media is super important so you know coaching people on that this was unheard of and still in many schools is still unheard of people are only just starting to catch up but 10 years ago when we started the London School Lucha Libre we wanted to give people the right skills and right opportunities to become the best that they can be and also get fit and have fun doing it at the same time which is why we call ourselves lucha libre because lucha libre it, you know it's about the masks and the mexican side of things it's professional wrestling you know there's japanese pro wrestling pureso there's the uk style there's the north american style and there's the mexican south american lucha libre style it's all the same thing with slightly different twists and we're not totally lucha libre we are everything we are professional wrestling we just changed the w to l just for smoke and mirrors at the time when you, when you first opened the school was wrestling a closed business for want of a better term or was it kind of pretty open and we, at that point there was a lot of rivalries lots of little companies thinking that they were a lot bigger than they was everyone wouldn't work with each other and was trying to you know piss everybody else off and it just didn't make sense to me as an adult and as someone who really loves the the wrestling business and industry it just didn't make sense like why if we all worked if the, if the UK worked together we could have a show and a brand that could rival anyone in the world and possibly surpass it and now we're just seeing that which is why WWE have swooped in and are trying to cherry pick all the talent because they can see that we're on the verge of creating something massive that could become a threat or a rival to the to the big boys like um, WWE or uh, New Japan in, uh, in Japan or uh, even Ring of Honor which is massive in the States um, and now you've got this this new company with Cody Rhodes and Jericho and stuff starting up with, with the billionaire football club owner the industry there is massive it's a billion dollar industry and if you're a, the 
top player in the industry and you can see these hungry little players coming up you you want to put a cap on it and the best way to do that is to uh, is to employ them <laughs> you mentioned social media and the internet and the way that's changed we don't have to take trade now to see things that are happening on the other side of the world um, you mentioned obviously the school here starting up have those been kind of the, the main sort of nucleuses behind this British re-revolution or, or whatever or what else has, has resulted in in British wrestling growing to where it is now? I think that what Greg and I have done here in London has been a, a large part of it. Uh, we certainly opened doors that were closed. We've, we smashed in a lot of doors and left them wide open and left them open for other people to go, oh, our chance is now, which is really good. And but, but I say about working with other promotions and not being in rivals with people and saying, look, let's work together. And the more that we work together, the better the industry works and the more there is for everybody else. And the better everybody gets, the better the, the trainees get, that we can become pros. And it's like a, you know, a system that in any other industry, that system is a model that works, tried and tested. But up until recently in British wrestling, that seemed to be like you know, an alien concept. But now people are grasping onto it and understanding that by running another wrestling show in the same location isn't taking money or food out of other people's mouths. What it's doing is creating more industry. And the more that you help each other and promote each other, the more people and the more eyes, the more fans you can get in. And it's making it accessible for people and showing people that there's a great product that they can invest in as well and characters and people to get behind. And at the end of the day, Professional wrestling is about escapism. It's about the the suspension of disbelief and having a great time. Going to a show with your friends, with your partner, and you know, having a drink and watching something that's gonna you know, when you go to work, back to work on Monday, you can talk to everyone at work and go, You won't believe what I saw. This crazy thing I saw a half man half monkey fight a half man half robot and they did a balcony dive and then they dive into the crowd to the outside and then among another little monkey came in a man dressed as a, as a monkey and started sucking his own towel where are you going to see that they're not even wwe in their heyday was that good and the listener will be able to hear uh, the, the slam of the mat in the background we, there's a training school going on here I, i'm keen to hear how often then are, are classes being run here? Is this, is this a full-time wrestling school, so to speak? Places open seven days a week. We run classes Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday evenings, 7.30 till 10.30. Beginners on Monday, uh, pros and intermediates on Tuesday and uh, beginners again in a slightly different structure on Wednesday. And then Greg is here the whole rest of the time and does uh, sessions for smaller groups and individuals or two people, pros that need to tie up for going on to more advanced stuff, just honing the craft, honing the skill. Nowadays, you can't train enough because there's, uh, there's such competition and to be ahead of your game you've got to keep training keep training keep training because there's no end to art there's no it's not like you know brick laying and you build a wall and it's straight and it's sturdy and it stays up and you know, there you go there's your brick laying certificate that's the finish of brick laying when it comes to wrestling there is no end result you just keep evolving and keep growing and keep your artistic endeavors it's an art Greg's coming. I'm keen to have a quick chat with him and not hold him back from uh, his yeah, pupils for as, for as long as possible. But final question for you yeah. then, I suppose. I wonder, is there been a key highlight for you, a key moment um, over the past 13 years of running Lucha Britannia shows that stands out? Oh dear, hard question. There's been a lot of key moments. I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Greg, I don't know. <laughs> Too many. I don't know, but, you know, having um, Metallico 
which is Greg Burridge versus Dark Britannico, which is Will Ospreay, for the championship with um, Jonathan Ross as a guest commentator and got involved in the action and uh, stuff like that. He was a, a big fan of ours and uh, supported us for a few years. That's a pretty good highlight. We've done quite a few TV things, uh, little bits and pieces. Obviously, the highlights yet to come when we get our own TV show, and then um, we show them how it's done. Gary Vanderhorn there from Lucha Britannia. And coming up, Greg Burridge joins us to talk all about his favourite experiences in Lucha Britannia, his wrestling career, and of course, the revolution of British wrestling and the role that Lucha Britannia has played and some of the people that he's trained. That match, though, Abel, I think it's important that we, the match that Gary Vanderhorn mentioned earlier on as his favourite moment in Lucha Britannia. I think it's important that we let the listeners know where they can go and watch that match, so I've written it down, so you might want to get a pen, guys, but then again, they can just keep re-listening to this bit, can't they? Um, so if you want to watch that match that Gary Vanderhorn mentioned, then you can go to www.youtube.com forward slash watch question mark V equals 8G Q capital V capital B capital T capital E D M X C or alternatively you can just search Metallica versus Dark Metallica who Lucha Britannia you don't have to put the whole code in Kane you idiot anyway it's now time for it's time So before this week's gig of the week, I'm going to give you a little prelude to a gig in a few weeks' time. Because on the gig in few weeks, gig in few weeks, we're going to have to get a new jingle. We will on the fifth. Stop saying that, girl, as well. On the fifteenth, she won't be wearing. She won't do us another jingle. Well, you need to you need to apologise for whatever you've done to that girl because we need another jingle for gig in a few weeks' time, ladies and gentlemen. On the fifteenth of February, that is your next chance to watch. Lucha Britannia. It's their Valentine's Day show. Check it out. Go on Lucha Britannia's website, their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for all of those details. I'm going to be there. I'm taking my significant other for our Valentine's Day treat. But you don't have to talk to me if you see me there. But please don't. Go on down. Check it out. It's the best show in town. And coming up, we have Greg Burridge from Lucha Britannia. But before, Kane. Who's this week's gig of the week? So that is obviously gigging three weeks, but gig of the week, earlier on in the show, in the top of the show, we mentioned the incredible Alex Lutley. And you can go and see Alex Lutley in this week's gig of the week at the um, House of Q in their new show, Rhinestone Resolations, which includes Alex Lutley, of course, good friend of the show, Neil Kelso, and Burlesque Vixen, Felicity for Law, who has just been voted, is she the 84th top burlesque act in the world? It's something like that. You should normally write down these things when people tell you them so that you can get it right. If it's not 84, we'll redo it. Okay, it's Rhinestone Resolutions as well. The name of the show. He said Resolutions. Ah, Rhinestone Resolutions with Mega Babe Felicity Floor. Cuddly Kitten Neil Kelso and Mega Babe Alex Lutley. Neil Kelso is a Mega Babe. So that's three Mega Babes. Um, I better tell you where it's on. Theatre Delhi, Delhi Bar, 2 Finsbury Avenue, London, on the 23rd of January at 7.30 in the PM. That's this week, and that's this week's Gig of the Week. But now, let's get back into it with Lucha Britannia. 
Greg Burridge joins us now on, on Talking Tricks. Um, I started by asking Gary how he would describe this incredible, amazing world of Lucha Britannia to someone that's never experienced it before. And I'm going to start by asking you okay. the same question. Um, it's indescribable. If you could describe it, you still wouldn't be doing it the justice it deserves. Um, it's just a crazy Monty Python. I'm sure Gary's mentioned the word Monty Python already, right? It's like a crazy Mighty Boosh, Mighty Python cabaret show that happens in a crazy arch in the middle of Bethnal Green. What I like to see when people come in who've never come in before, they just look, the look in their face just says it all, and they just literally say to themselves, Christ, what, what is this? What have you brung me to? Because a lot of them, they don't know what they're coming to. Their friends have brung them by surprise. Because the gallery is just as much an important member of the cast as much as all the other wrestlers and the cabaret acts because it's got such a unique um, character about itself that if we wasn't doing it in this railway arch in the middle of Bethnal Green I don't know if it would have, have the same effect with the crowd the same one they would cheer the same because they really you really can lose yourself in, in this immersive experience which is Lucha Britannia so to describe it in words, I, I can't, but you just have to come and, and check it out for yourself. Gary and I kind of touched on, you know, what Lucha Britannia looks like and feels like, and it is, but I wonder, 13 years ago, when, when you kind of decided you wanted to create something, yeah. obviously something very different, um, is this how, how you first thought it would look, or has it kind of oh, grown and developed over the years? It's grown and developed. Basically, Gary had some ideas, and I had some ideas, and we put them together in a in a pot and made the best drug ever <laughs> and then we uh, we bag it up and we sell it at 15 pounds a ticket yeah it's just evolved and obviously times have changed and attitudes have changed we used to have a character called uh, bradford w bush who was like the uh, the great great grandson of george w bush i don't think that character would work as well now on the show but at the time it was you know it was it was, it was a really uh, uh, it was it was on fire i mean we could probably do like a trump version i guess but we just have to stay uh, relevant with the current political climate, I guess, because nothing responds more to people than their own political, you know, points of view. We've got like a a pro-vegan character on the show who's pro-mother nature, but is actually a villain. He's a hill. He's a bad guy. You know, it's it's, it's an interesting um, mix of original ideas and things that have just happened by fate. One guy, for instance grew a moustache and we went you look like Freddie Mercury and then he became Freddie Mercurio a year later and now he's smashing it on the independent scene all around Canada and America doing this like Freddie Mercury impersonation act you know but it all started because we said to him you look like Freddie Mercury with that moustache and it wound me up why he wouldn't shave your moustache because you look like an idiot this is before it was cool to have a moustache you know and he became one of the biggest wrestlers on the show i think it just keeps evolving and sometimes the, the wrestlers have their own ideas and we listen to their ideas and we create and develop their ideas and that's when the magic happens i think if you're so busy planning you know planning what should happen you're going to miss what like golden opportunities golden nuggets that could have happened if you just weren't so uh, methodical about it i guess and I, I wonder kind of how how involved then you guys are with you know developing the, the characters and the wrestlers do you is it a case of maybe a wrestler that you're training ha has an idea for a character and then you work on it or do you ever think do you know what it'd be really good to have a character like this and, and then you work with maybe a blank canvas of a, of a new wrestler to, to develop that with them it's it's a little bit of everything you just said pretty much sometimes the wrestler brings his own ideas and we go yep yeah, that's good 
um, and then we put our two cents in. You know, having you know, um, me and Gary have got like 20 years' experience each in the in the wrestling industry. So we'll go. You know, it's a good idea. But what you should do from what we've learned. You know, what happened in the past. Do that, but then add a bit of this and do a bit of this. And goes, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's just a little bit of everything, really. I guess. I mean, Gary's quite adamant on on some of his characters that he's had for years. You know, there's like his babies. Whereas I am more to the way of saying, oh, we need to get him on the show because he'd be an awesome as a character that I don't know. He comes out as some sort of like disco dancing devil person, and you know, he's quite funky. He's got an afro. We could call him Disco Diablo. And then I'll be adamant we gotta get him in the show. We need Disco Diablo on the show, and it'll be. And uh, then I just have to convince Gary on the idea. Or sometimes he goes, "Yeah, it's a great idea." Something else I love about Lucha Britannia, as a wrestling fan myself, yeah. and someone that you know has probably watched wrestling for the best part of 25 years. <laughs> and, and the far, furthest back you go, actually, the role that maybe women played, and then potentially androgynous characters yeah. would always be the heel or mm -hmm. the bad guys and the, the role of women would very much yeah. be you know for sexual gratification yeah. here coming to a lucha britannia show it feels so progressive that yeah. it isn't like that at all and actually lgbtq characters are really yeah. celebrated here yeah. is that something that you kind of always thought we want to to change the way that those characters are presented to an yeah audience? from day from day one that's been our uh, our mantra i guess and I don't think Lucha Britannia gets enough credit for what we actually did. We paved the way for that. And then other promotions copied or other federations took that idea and run with it. We've never got the right exposure we deserve, in my opinion. We were always the outsiders when it came to the British wrestling scene. That's how we wanted it. But what's happened now, British wrestling's done, um, well, it's done a 180. It's now the biggest thing. It's the biggest wrestling industry in the world. But because we are the outsiders, we're still deemed as the outsiders. But what a lot of people don't realise is we've had all of the top names that you're seeing around the world started at Lucha Britannia, or they, they had the early part of their career with Lucha Britannia. Marty Scroll, obviously Will Ospreay made his debut right here in the Resistance Gallery under a mask. I mean, we had Jimmy Havoc as Transexico. No one knows it was half man, half woman, Transexico. Jimmy Havoc was a good character, a good, like a, a face character. We never believe that we should uh, give in to the stereotypes. We really want to have pro characters, whether it be a pro-Muslim character, a pro-LGBT character, even like a pro, a, a, um, I don't know, pro-Tory government character, who knows if we can do it. If we can do it and we can get the empathy for everyone's opinion, then we're on to a winner, I think. And have audiences always reacted in the way that you want them to a character? Or has there ever been times when actually you bring out this, this positive character and actually the audience respond in not the way you, you were hoping? Do, do you know what? It's, it's interesting because we did we brought out Transexico as this pro character, half man, half woman. Um, and it, it, the whole idea of the character, it, it doesn't matter what you are, if you're male, you're female, you Whatever you uh, identify as, it doesn't matter. That was the idea of the character. But I think if we tried to do that now, I think too many people would be offended. But for the wrong reasons. Trying to make it an offensive character when it's... Trying to put stuff into the character that wasn't there. Adding another dimension to the character. So, yeah, because I often think, you know, if we did some of the characters today, I don't think they would react the same way as we did when we first brung them out. So with me and Gary thinking about character development, 
we have to take into consideration that although we are trying to change people's opinions on certain things in a positive manner, never in a negative manner, society has changed, London has changed, attitudes have changed, so therefore we need to change and evolve and constantly evolve, because if we're, if we're not constantly evolving and adapting, we're, we're, we're behind. So, and that's an important thing when we are developing a character. We have to make sure that when they go out there and the, they, the crowd see them for the first time, straight away, they get their understanding why that character's there and what his job is. And you, you know, there's two jobs that a wrestling characters do: either to make you boo him or to make him cheer. So uh, I'm trying to think if we ever had. Okay, like at the minute, uh, we have a El, El Tracadoras is a plant-based character. He should really be a face because he's pro-Mother Nature. But basically, Mother Nature has had enough of the humans since he's here to wipe out the humans. But, you know, he comes over as a, as a bad guy. Really, we should all be trying to save the planet. <laughs> so why is everyone booing him? So it's, you know, because he's telling people what they should be living like. And people don't want to be told what to do. So you're in this interesting areas. You may be... Uh, stereotyped as a good character but if you get that good character and it starts preaching to the people then by default psychologically it becomes a hill so again then we can also play with the structure with that and you mentioned to me before we start recording that you're pretty much training wrestlers here full-time yeah um, I wonder what was the industry like for you then when you first broke in and how long ago was that uh, I first broke into the industry in 2000 and I walked into the wrestling industry after reading books where I heard wrestlers were getting their eyes gouged out on their first day of training. And they, as the eyeball was laying on the floor, the wrestlers would put their heel on the eyeball and the eyeball would squash. And, you know, they'd lose their eye on purpose. And I was like, fuck. But even knowing that, I still wanted to go. I was like, yeah, I'd lose my eye. That's how much I wanted it. I said, like, I don't care. If, if that's what happens to me, it's fine. And then the other rumour was, oh, when you go to the wrestling school, the first thing they're going to do to see if you want it is break your legs. And once your legs have healed, if you go back, then it proves that you wanted it. And perhaps they might break your legs again just to prove a point. And if you go back, it proves you want it. And I was ready for all that. I was like, they broke my legs fine. For me, I think it was, if I went in there with a, with a snowflake attitude, I don't think I'd, well, I definitely would be here now. You had, I approached it with the, you know, the, the worst case situation, I'm gonna walk away with one eye and broken arms, but it's what I wanna do. For me, it wasn't as hard, I think, because I was expecting to get my legs broken and my eyes popped out. I never got that. I did get slapped around and, you know, um, beaten, but it was all in good humor, really. Nothing crazy. Uh, yeah, it was just, um, we, it was kind of third world when, when I started. There wasn't all the wrestling schools around as there are now. There was two wrestling schools. I was very fortunate to have one about 25 minutes from my house. It took me about an hour and a half to get there on a train because I didn't drive at the time. But I loved it. Once a week, getting on the train, saving up my, you know, my pocket money pretty much. Getting on the train with my friends and training together. And then we'd all used to fight on the train home. We had, the seat, we had a, like this championship belt that we used to fight for each other on the train on the way home. And it was a great experience. It was a bonding experience. It was like, like, a, like, a, like a family. These kind of outcasts who wanted to do this crazy thing called wrestling. And we all get together on a Sunday and we have the same beliefs and the same uh, motivation. And what happened is we all turned pro. <laughs> And we're all really famous wrestlers now. Some are in the WWE now, some are in the world of sport. 
And the day that we all stopped wrestling, the day that we stopped training, we was actually getting paid to go do shows. It was really depressing because we couldn't get on the train no more and have fights with each other for the for the belt or get together on a Sunday and uh, and train because that kind of family group gone and we turned pro. So that was sad. So I can identify with all the people coming in the school today. I understand what it's like for them because I've been there and I want to make that feeling as apparent as much as I can with the guys and make them feel they are part of a family and we have a family atmosphere here. That's why we're very successful because we're not letting people come in and we're letting them prove themselves and beating them up and breaking their legs. We're welcoming people in and saying, welcome to the family. You're part of the family now, enjoy. And it's very important because we're a support system. We all support each other. And like the worst case, if you don't go on to make it as a professional wrestler, you've now got a new family. And London is a very lonely place. It's full of people from all around the world. You know, you might have been in the, in the city for two weeks, you know, and you want to learn wrestling. But you come here, you're going to not only learn wrestling, you're going to have your own London family. Which, um, especially with Christmas this gone, you know, is a very important thing because a lot of our guys have got together over Christmas because they're away from their family. Yeah, and to me, it's, I love training people. I love building their confidence up. And I love the fact that we've got this family support system. And I think that's why the London School Lucha Libre is not only the best wrestling school in the, in the world, it's a very, it's, in, it's essential for British wrestling. For a wrestling fan at the minute, it's it's a great time there's so many shows to go and watch and yeah. by all means correct me if, if I'm wrong but it seems like it's actually a, a good place to, to be a wrestler at the minute with, with jobs wise you know yep. enough work I wonder for you as a magician I find myself yeah. having to you know I go to Australia when the biggest festivals are there I find myself traveling around the world a lot for, mm -hmm. for work yeah. and that's how it is I wonder for you before there was you know, a re-resurgence, for want of a better term, yeah. of British wrestling. What, what was it like being a professional wrestler? Were you travelling all over, all over the country, what? all I, over the I world? I was travelling. I was one of the few wrestlers in the UK that was actually travelling every, every week. I was going to Ireland, Italy, Austria, Germany. But I, at the time, I was going, yeah, I'm living the life. I'm, but I had no money. <laughs> I was getting paid just... I was getting money just enough to survive, you know hand to mouth so it was hard everyone else had proper jobs and there was weekend warriors which you know which i can see you know looking back that was probably a good idea <laughs> but um it was hard but it was so much fun i was wrestling two or three times a day i was with my friends we was doing a thing called the holiday camps where you're wrestling pontins and uh butlins and then you know you'd go and wrestle in a hall show that night somewhere else around the country so in the summertime it was very very busy lots of fun um, I was very lucky to be put on one of the tours for Thailand and I spent um, like three to four years in Thailand wrestling, like going back and forth from wrestling over there in Asia. Um, so I was very lucky, I had a lot of opportunities uh, handed to me but, well I say handed, I had to work for them. I think that's the important thing uh, that separates me from a lot of other people at the time. I worked my nuts off to get what I had. Um, but it was hard. <coughs> and <coughs> the, the, the the problem I have, it's not necessarily a problem. Um, I think a lot of the modern fans now are very ignorant to the fact that nothing would be here today. Progress, ICW, uh, even to a certain extent Rev Pro, if it wasn't for the people that paved the way for them to go and have the opportunities that they've, they've been given. Because everyone thinks that pro wrestling started with, with Progress four years ago, which is bollocks. You know, we was... We was doing school halls in 2001 and the ring breaking and Johnny Storm getting in the ring while he was singing, hey, baby, ooh, 
ah oh, to the crowd while we were trying to repair the, the fucking ring to, in front of 25, 30 people. And then we made it big. We went to the Scov uh, Coventry Sky Dome, which is a, you know, a massive milestone in the British wrestling uh, calendar. And then we went all the way back down again to doing two people in a sports hall in Nottingham, you know, a couple of months later. So we've seen the ups and the downs and the, the heartache and the stress. And it, we've gone through all of that, but we've helped pave a way through making mistakes as well and learning from them mistakes and not what to do and what to do to where you've got this finished polished product of progress and icw and uh rev pro but um yeah i, I just think it would be nice if some of the fans done their their history into where into why into you know why there is a progress yeah. And I, I wonder, thinking of your wrestling career then, is there been, I mean, I'm sure this is such a tough question. Someone actually asked me what my favourite ever show I've yeah. done was before, and it's, it is a hard question, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got a favourite match, or then maybe it was a favourite company that you kind of used to go out and work for? Uh, my favourite match, and I'll quite happily say this, is me versus Vampiro. On a personal note, though, because when I was an Essex boy chav, <laughs> I used to watch WCW Worldwide on Channel 5 uh, just before we used to go out with my friends. And I used to watch the telly and go, oh, I'd really want to be a pro wrestler, but that's a million miles from where I'm now. I'm a chav from, you know, Romford. How am I going to be a superstar wrestler in America? And one of the guys on the show was Vampiro. And he was so, you know, he looked, came out dressed like a vampire, like a goth with dreads. And I thought he looked really cool. And I'd leave my house, I'd go out to the nightclub with my friends. It just felt empty. Didn't enjoy what I was doing. Just thought there was more. I just felt there was more for me in life than this. So, cut a long story short, 2005, I went to Italy to wrestle. I turned up to the to the to the venue. It's a 10,000 seat arena. I'm there with all of the ex WWE and WCW wrestlers. All the guys that I grew up with: Umaga, Ultimo Dragon, Rikishi, Too Cool, and then boom, there's Vampiro sitting at the table. I'm like, shit, that's Vampiro. I didn't know he was there. Anyway, next day at the show, I went, yeah, you're wrestling Vampiro. And I just went, whoa, fuck. And uh, I wrestled him in front of 10,000 people in uh, Calibra, it Italy, in a coffin match. And uh, I always said, like, to myself, I was always quite um, a sensible wrestler. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to take unnecessary bumps if I don't have to take these bumps. But I always said to myself, if I ever wrestle Vampiro, I'll let him do whatever the fuck he wants to me, and I'll love it. So uh, we had this match and there was like a top rope superplex, he threw me off the balcony in the crowd, he cut my head open with a crucifix on my head, like he super kicked the coffin into my head and the crucifix cut me open. Um, and it was like the greatest match, I, you know, sentimentally it was the greatest match ever because Vampiro was such a cool guy. So anyway, um, a year later I got the tape sent to me at home, I put the tape in and I watched the tape and suddenly it dawned on me that I'm watching the tape of me wrestle Vampiro on the same TV that I used to watch him wrestle the WCW guys. And then it just was like, boom, 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 you have completed the game. Well done. And it was just, I've done it. I've just leveled up. I've just gone full circle. And it had such an emotional impact for me and a relief. It was like the first time in my, my career, I, I did it. I've done it. I was like, you've done it, Greg. You've become a professional wrestler. All those times you was out being a chav in Romford, questioning yourself, and look, now you are one of those superstars in the ring with your idol. So I could have, you know, died the next day, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, so for me, that is the most important. 
um, time. And that's actually on my YouTube channel, that match, on Burridge TV. You want to check that out on YouTube. You can watch the match. But, yeah, good times. 2005, that was quite a long time ago now. Everyone will be pausing this podcast to listen yeah. to that now. <laughs> I, I can guarantee it. I'm keen just to kind of get your um, your sort of mindset behind uh, starting Lucha Britannia. What, what were some of your inspirations uh, for, for starting the company? Uh, just, just something different. Because at the time, British wrestling was boring, you know, and that's what Gary thought as well. And we, did, I, did, I just wanted it to be fun and different and not wrestling. So I guess our inspirations were... We liked, uh, there's a Japanese promotion called Hustle that was doing kind of what we, we, are, we are doing. They had the Hustle Power Rangers. And it was just fun wrestling, wrestlers having fun. And that's what we want it to be. We wanted it to be wrestlers having fun, not aimed necessarily at a wrestling crowd, aimed at a casual audience, because I think wrestling fans will follow wrestling wherever you go. It's the casuals you need to keep bringing in and growing your fan base from there. So I think it is important to bring in pop idol popular modern day popular culture idols that you can bring into the the wrestling industry i.e a hipster wrestler i don't know you know because people can associate with that character like i said I keep saying vegan i know um anti teresa may character yeah i don't know so it's it's important that you you connect with that button so that's our, our inspiration is this modern modern culture i guess and meeting the demands, keeping everyone happy, and just make everyone have a good time and have fun. Literally, just have as long as people are having fun. That's that's our main, our main drive. It's a really really fun show, and uh, Lucha Britannia is the only yeah. wrestling show that I've managed to uh, convince my girlfriend to ever good, go to. Yeah. She loves it. We're coming back for Valentine's but Day. That's, that's our thing. plan now. You can you can bring someone who goes. I don't want to like that. It's going to be shit. I guarantee you, they leave and they go. Oh, we didn't expect it to be that good. You know, I don't usually like wrestling, but that was awesome. Because it's not, re it's, I'm sub subliminally showing you wrestling under the disguise of, of uh, a prince lookalike and, you know, a frog. <laughs> but, you you know, where was she going to see, you know, prince versus a frog, you know? But then you watch the wrestling and go, actually, this is fucking solid wrestling. Because the guys on the mask, you know, they're, they're working all around the country. People don't realise it because they're under a mask. So you're seeing top-level credible wrestling with over-the-top crazy characters, but also with superhero comic book psychology. If El Illusionisto wants to freeze time and the wrestlers wants to freeze the wrestlers in time and go backwards in time and start flipping everyone around with magic spells, why not, you know? That's the power of Lucha Britannia. Come in, forget about your stresses on the outside world and come and enjoy yourself for two hours. Two more questions. Yeah. Um, the first one, I wonder what percentage of your audience do you think are wrestling fans and what percentage are people taking a chance on a different night out? The, the thing we have at the gallery, they get the tickets set out so quick, like, like literally so quick, it, it, within seconds. So a lot of the time it's new people getting them tickets straight away. So 80% of the crowd are here for their first time. Then you've got your 20% loyal so they're the ones that are here regularly so we need to expand now and go to a bigger show because we've got such a big fan base it's kind of not fair to the people that can't get a ticket because these new people walk in they don't know what to expect but by the end of it they're absolutely loving it so they want to come back to the next show and they can't because they can't get a ticket quick enough 
So we're constantly building new fan bases of each show. But I think if, say we was to book a big venue, I think it'll be a 50-50 split. Say we, we booked a 5,000 seat venue, what we could do, we could two 2,000 fans would be casuals, and then, you know, 2,000 new guys. Because Lucia Britannia is a cult thing. A lot of people have heard of us, but a lot of people might not have seen us, but they've definitely heard of us. The question I asked Gary that he found the hardest question I asked yeah. him um, over the past 13 years of running Lucha Britannia. Has there been, you know, one or a few key moments that kind of stick out to you, whether it was a, that's a really cool moment or, or just a, a real favourite moment in your mind? Every show is just, every single show we do, there's a, there's a moment, like every show. The shows just keep getting better. The ones when people didn't realise who Will Ospreay was were my favourites. And I was wrestled Will all the time, getting him ready, make, bringing him up, and he was an unpolished diamond. And I think it was our job to kind of sparkle him up, get him ready, and then give him out to the world. And he could do that quite comfortably under a mask because no one knows who he is. So he can take risks, he can be exciting, he can try new things, which is good, which is important for the development of Will Ospreay as much as the character of Dark Britannico. For me, Gary did mention it, the match I had with him at uh, Bankside Vultures, Jonathan Ross, that was a big moment. But also his debut in terms of, because uh, he debuted as Liam Botanico, that was his official debut, but then we gave, we gave him his Dark Botanico, Botanico debut at um, the British Wrestling uh, Brit Rest Fest at the Coronet. And it was me, uh, Dark Botanico, Liam Botanico, which is Paul Robinson, and Santeria. You've seen Santeria, he's just this huge seven foot, this zombie, but the agility on the guy is, absolutely insane the stuff he can do and we went out there with the cream of the crop of Brit rest and we tore the roof of the building and we literally tore the roof of the building the adrenaline rush we got because everything was on point the crowd popped hardest for our match but what I remember most from that match is Will never experiencing anything like that before you know the Will Ospreay we're, we know we're doing Corrigan Hall Tokyo Dome and he's at home with these big venues you know, this, the Coronet, which is a very um, prestigious building, where it can only hold 500 people. I remember him taking his mask off and sitting there and just in shock, you know, kind of the, the, the pop he just got. And it was, uh, I'll never forget the look on his face. And who would have known that he'd go on to be so successful now? Well, actually, no, I always knew he'd go on to be successful, but you know, at, at the time then, to see, remember his seeing that reaction, um, I think that's one of the most important memories I have, just because of what Will's gone on and done. And I was there for that first moment. He experienced that that big pop and that big venue vibe and the feeling of having the match of the night. So that's my personal one. Final, final question. Yeah. You've created an, an amazing progressive wrestling company that is, is attractive to not just wrestling fans, but casuals. You sell out every month. You've trained some of the biggest wrestlers yeah. in, in the world now. What's left for Lucha Britannia? What's left for you? Progression, progression. Um, with me, I, um, I don't wrestle as much now. I just do more backstage road agenting with the show. I only wrestle when I have to. One of the reasons is because I do a lot of TV work and stunt work now and acting and fights and stuff. So uh, I want to keep making sure that my, my body is on point because I'm 37 now, getting old. <laughs> so I want to make sure I'm, I'm healthy and well to uh, 
be there for the stunts and because I think I make I can do more for British wrestling now from that actually being in the ring and being behind the scenes training the wrestlers and also doing more movie stuff more I can get out there on the on the uh, the stunt world side of it and the in front of the camera can only be a good thing for the school and a good thing for Lucha Britannia I run my own stunt school from the school now and um, we're in the midst of making our second movie with the students, the first one being London Rampage. So yeah, it's, I think the future is just keep expanding the school and making the students realise that wrestling is more than, uh, it's a tool that you can use outside the ring. You can take it into comedy, you can take it into theatre, probably take it on the stage with magician, with being a, uh, like a, a, some sort of magician tricks and stuff. It's all the same energy. And for me, I want them to realise that you can take it into the world of stunts and action movies. So yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of action movies with a lot of Lucha Libre involved in the next couple of years. That's the aim. So Greg, I think I could talk to you about wrestling forever, but I better not because you've got students waiting. Yeah. Thank you ever so much for chatting. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Caden Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>